Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So the GEA Joe account, um, Connor, tweeted out last week about the best miner you've ever seen. Um, and I was interested in seeing some of the replies back to that because I replied to it myself about our very own Bino McDonald. So Bino won three Leinster minors in a row. He played minor for three for three years. He won three Leinsters. He played in three All-Ireland minor finals. He won two of them and they were beaten in the final um, by Tyrone, a brilliant Tyrone team in his third year. So I was kind of thinking that can't really be beaten. Bino is the greatest minor that, that has ever played the game. But as it turns out, um, there were better minors probably than, than Bino McDonald. Like David Clifford obviously is one that jumps out to, mo- to most people. Like Michael Dignan replied back and he said, John Troy. He was um, obviously awfully centre forward that most people remember him. He was on the awfully minor panel for four years, 86, 87, 88, 89. He won three Leinsters and three All-Irelands along the way. Um, and he, he won all of them in goals. So yeah. that was a, that was an interesting one. Michael Dignan. Like there's other, like obviously Joe Canning, kind of big ones. One minor really jumps out at me that I always remember thinking, geez, he's a brilliant player and he didn't really make it was Declan McCrossan from Tyrone. Like he had a moustache as a minor and he always kind of stood up, but he's this real swashbuckling centre back. Um, he looked like he was maybe about 25 playing minor. Um <laughs> You know, he he was kind of a standout one. I'm trying to like who who's a big one in Mayo. Surely, Kieran McDonald was one of the greatest miners that has ever graced the field in Mayo. I, I don't think Kieran McDonald really came to prime. Like he he obviously he was an underage star, but not not the way that um not the way not in the same tones that you're talking about Bean or David Clifford. To be honest, like the obvious one and it's a really obvious one, uh for me was uh for was Aidan O'Shea, because uh, Aidan O'Shea I think got he was uh. On the Mayo team, they got to an All Ireland final in two thousand and eight against Tyrone, and I suppose uh, he was a brilliant player, obviously. But what made him stand out at minor more so than anything else was his size. Um, just really looked like uh, he was a man beast. He was like just a, just a man against boy, a man about boys basically. Yeah. But uh, he uh, actually back then as well, well, he was probably more of a scorer than he is 
definitely a point. He used to play centre forward. He's more even a traditional centre forward than the centre forward he became as a senior. But he was really fully formed. He, you know, he as a minor player, and, and then he ended up making his debut as a senior player the year after he played minor. So that's from Mayo. That's the one. But like I just the way I kind of judge kind of um, outstanding minors would be the you hear about you hear this hype about them that like oh these guys these guys are going to be absolute superstars and the yeah. two, now for me you've mentioned them already Clifford and Joe Canning um the from from when when these lads were 16 or 17 they were being talked about as the next best thing and fair play to Clifford and, and Canning they've um they've lived up for it as well just Clifford particularly that year that he that Kerry won the minor when he scored 4-4 against Derry um, Mayo Mayo got to the All Ireland final that year, so Clifford played in a couple of games before the Mayo Senior Games, right. and he was the type of guy that like you know you'd make sure you'd leave the pub in time to catch the minor game, and that wasn't the, that was no small deal I can tell you at the time, fully. But uh, yeah, by God, has he lived up to the hype since? Yeah, no, he definitely has. Joe Canning, they're they're the two big ones where you kind of hear whispers about this fella even when they're yeah. sixteen, and they 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 kind of filtered throughout the country. I remember Eugene Clunan and Eugene O'Neill. I just remember them specifically because they're in the minor All Ireland hurling final in 96, um, the year I was minor, and there was huge talk about them. They were both four, number 14. It was like the two Eugenes going head to head. Um, didn't have unbelievable senior careers, the two of them, um, funnily enough. But anyways, the winner of the greatest minor that has ever played the game, um, it was Jared O'Kane, obviously Glen Ullen and Derry footballer, who replied back to me about this, about Dermot McNichol. And it's, it's an interesting one because we did the 1993 All-Ireland final uh, nostalgia show myself and Conan and I remember Conan saying to me I didn't remember Dermot McNichol really playing um, at all too much and I remember that final he came on at half time and I remember Conan saying and that was a big controversy in itself because the, the great Dermot McNichol and you know I just didn't really know <laughs> know much to talk about it but anyways I got looking about um, Dermot McNichol so before Dermot McNichol left school he'd won three minor Ulster titles and he played in three All-Ireland minor finals um, winning one as captain and playing in his first at the age of 14. He played four years minor. He played in five McCrory Cup finals, winning four of them. The first McCrory Cup final he played, he was only 14, and that's a record. Um, but we're not finished yet. He was still in school when he won a senior All-Star for Derry, and he's the youngest ever All-Star in the GEA, and he was still in school when he represented Ireland in the Compromise Rules. Um, wow. And yeah, and Dermot joins us on the line now. Dermot, how's it going? Great, Colm. How are you? Uh, no, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, Jesus, that's some list of achievements by the by the time you're still, what, 17, 18? Yeah, 18 I would have been at that stage, you know. Um, yeah, it's, looking back on it, uh, Colm, it, it is a, it's a heavy list of, of uh, you know, games and, and championships and finals and that I've played in, you know, but uh, I really, really enjoyed every, every second of it, you know. I just... I, I I was brought up uh, in my own club here, Glenol. Um Just, we were football mad. And uh, the guy that started me off in my football career was a, a guy called Danny McElvar. God rest him, he's dead now. But Danny was such, uh, he was a way ahead of his time with regards to um, coaching and, 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 and taking players for football and that, you know. And uh, he had us in a wee hall down in the Fly Road, we call it, you know. And, uh, we used to train there over the Christmas time, and it was all uh, like circuits. I mean, Danny was so way ahead of everybody else at that stage. I mean, there was no no the circuits came in for me, you know, later on uh, at county level and club level. Yeah. But at an age of fourteen, we were doing circuits and we were doing inside a hall 
shuttle runs and oh, it was it was amazing. But he gave me that first uh, that first taste of of playing football. And uh, you know, Jerry McElhenney, my God, uh, I used to idolise him, um, and he was a you know a dairy man at the time. He was really uh, one of the the stars, and we all looked up to him. You know, at that time. Yeah, well, like I mean, when you're 14 and you're on the you know the McCrory Cup team and you're 14 and you're playing in an All Ireland minor final, where were you playing on the team? Or like, were you really advanced physically, or was it this training that this uh, fellow was doing with you? Uh, that's a that's a difficult question, Colm. Uh, you know, I suppose I, 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 you know I was fairly strong at a at a very early age. You know, I wasn't overly at all, but. Um, a lot of my training would have been individual training. Um, there's a there's a hill down below where I live here now, and uh, I used to do serious serious uh, sprints up them hills, and and uh, I think that maybe helped develop me 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 power and, and my legs and that you know. And uh, yeah. I also remember uh, at a very early age around the, the Glenall here, um, myself and a neighbour here, Henry Martin Hassan and boys like that. We used to just be on our bikes the whole time, and it was never look we we were always out doing something in the fresh air and whether it was cycling whether it was running you know even going to training like we would have walked to training and at an earlier stage and you know you would have done anything to to get yourself involved and and and, and the team you know and oh, the boys that i played with at that age you know were you know, mad about it as well it was just both we, we were just brought up with it you know and danny has to danny mcgillvar has to take serious credit for that right you know, he just he lit, he lit that fuse that, that, that got us all and, and, and mad about football, you know. Well, there must have been fierce excitement about you in Derry around that time because we kind of had it with Bino MacDonald here in Leash and we see it recently with David Clifford and I suppose what they did in the game wouldn't be even, you know, it wouldn't be on the level of what you were doing back in the early 80s. Like, I mean, was everyone in Derry talking about you? Uh, not, not really. If that's, well... You didn't have the same social media. You didn't have the same coverage yeah. that you have. Players, um, you know, are now, you know, you have all them Instagram, you have Facebook, you have, uh, you know, all them different uh, social uh, networks and that. Yeah. We didn't have that at the time, but you still did have the, the, the local papers. You still had the national papers. Uh, I remember the time... Um, that uh, I, I was representing uh, Ireland and the Compromise Rules. That you know the TV cameras come into the school for the first time, you know, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty big at that time. But as I say, I didn't, I just didn't see it that way. Um, I just took it that look, this is what it is. Uh, you know, I'm I'm playing for for different teams and I'm just enjoying it. And I, you know, I didn't at that time. I just didn't think. You know, I didn't realize it was as big. As it is now, looking back now, like it, it was a serious, serious achievements, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that the, so many of the managers that that um, that that were in charge of me, you know, they they give that trust on me, and uh, you know, they they believed in, in my ability that I could play the game, you know. So I was I was very very lucky that way. So I believe that you were a very good rugby player at the time as well. So you're playing with Glenullen, you're playing McCrory Cup, you're playing, uh, I presume, under 14, 16 uh, and minor at football. How many teams were you playing with at that time? At that time, Colm, uh, I was playing 
starting off from the club, under 14s and uh, under 16s and minors and seniors as well. I was playing for Glenall Seniors when I was 14. Jesus. Uh, yeah, and then, well, we're a rural area, small enough population, like, but it's a, a serious, we've produced some brilliant, brilliant footballers um, down through the years, you know, really, really good footballers, and Paddy Bradley's from, from my Aye. club, and, you know, Gabriel Bradley, Liam Bradley, there was Declan McNichol, Jahal McNichol, Raymond Rocky Colby was, uh, Michael Murhertick in the minor final, 83, said he was the best minor he's seen coming, in, coming into Croke Park. You know, th- these are the type of quality players we had, uh, you know, at our, at our disposal at that time, you know, and, uh, no, we, we uh, we all played, we, you know, a lot of those boys would have been playing um, you know, under 14s, under 16s and minors. Not too many were playing seniors, but yeah, it was serious times. Then you looked at um, the school. I moved into the school. You know, at that time I was playing for the, the uh, Cornyn Oak, which is under 15 and a half. I was playing for the Ramafast, which was under 16 and a half. And then I was playing for the McCrory as well. So there was quite a bit on my plate. Uh, but hey, <laughs> loved Every second of a column, you know. Yeah. And uh, as I say, you know, you make you, you make so many friends out of it, and you know, it's, it's it's to me, it was just one of those things that was came natural to me, and I loved it, you know. Yeah. And, and so, 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 just by the time you're 21, then you've added two more Ulster under 21 titles, two Sigerson Cups, and you were 19 when you captained Glenullen to their first ever or first county title in 57 years. And I was wondering how how you were captain at 19, but I suppose if you were with them since you were 14, that kind of maybe explains it. Well, uh, again, you know, it was we had our column. You know, you're so lucky. Uh, I was looking there. Uh, you're, you're, I think you've what six or seven county titles, haven't you? With the uh, yeah, six, yeah. And then you have an Ulster or you have a Leinster title, and Ballina beat you in the, the, the final, isn't that right? It is, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hey, I, I'm sure whenever you look back in your career as well, the way I have, you know, the club is the most important, uh, you know, it is the most important organization in your life at that time, and we had a serious, serious group of players. and uh, at that particular time that were coming through, you know. So um, I, I I don't know. Like we lost a lot of players through immigration and that, you know. And uh, we um, we we at one stage now. I'm just saying here how how that club of ours was operating at the time. And you you say I, the captain of the team in '85. I was captain in '85. Yeah, but you have serious senior players. Um, I remember uh, one night a training. This is God. And one of the senior players, I looked, <laughs> I'm not giving his name now, but uh, there was a bit of messing about going on in the training with a young boy. And this senior player went up. I, oh, it, it made such a difference to us and our, our outlook. And it actually helped us. You know, we were serious for, for, for winning a championship that year. But he grabbed that young player and he goes, he shook him and he said, will I tell you something? I'm such and such an age. I'm trying to win a senior championship medal. I, I, and that means something to me. And if you're going to mess about, go and mess about somewhere else. And hey, that's the, that's the mentality and the group of players we had in 85. So even me being captain at a very young age, we had so many leaders on the pitch, so many passionate players. And uh, you know, we had won championship prior to that. And to win that, that was our second championship. And I knew it was, it was on, well, third one. We got we one took off us from the county board. We actually won the game, but uh, they took it off us. I'll just get that one in. 
Terrell. We, we, we did win a championship, which, which was taken off us at the county board meeting. But anyway, that's what we were working with. So me and Captain didn't, didn't um, you know, again, I never thought about it. It just was part of a, a team that wanted to win another championship. And hey, that team column, that's what I was about to say. We had, on, at that particular time, but through minors, through under-21s, through senior uh, players, right, we had about 17 or 18 players who were representing Derry at some level, uh, you know, around that period of time. And that's yeah. some. That, that team there, we the, we won the championship in 85 column. The following year, we lost about seven or eight of that team to emigration. No fault of their own. Look, they had to go and find employment. But the what, people ask me one of my biggest regrets in my life was the breakup of that team because we could have we could have dominated senior football in Derry for about six or seven years. We had such a, a group of players, and yeah. uh, we could have won an Ulster and whatever. But you know that's that, that's the mentality we had at that time. We just lost players. Yeah, you lost seventh emigration, and like you said, during the eighties, people were leaving. You know, for to to yeah. find work and things like that. You stay. You well, you stayed around until eighty seven. Um, won an Ulster with Armagh in '87, and then the AFL came knocking on your door. You've been back. You've been shooting the lights out for the compromise rules for three or four years, and I think they had been sniffing around you for a few years before that. That's right. They came. Uh, they they, uh, they approached me, and uh, that would have been around '84. Uh, whenever the very first compromise rules series started down in Cork, um, that was the first uh, test match, and everybody talks about that one. Yet it was a an absolutely brutal um, uh, physical. Uh, well, listen, it was thuggery. That's what it was. The the Australians just came out to put their marker down, and they they they, they were doing things in in that test match that they wouldn't even dream about doing in their own code of football, you know? Yeah. Um, but as I say, that th- th- after those te- after those group of test matches, uh, I was approached uh, by uh, the Hawthorne Club, and then um, that went on. I went out then to Australia, would have been 86, was it? I think it was 86. And then I was... Uh, uh, I was approached again, another approach, and then I, I just I wasn't I, I wasn't interested. I wasn't um, you know I just was enjoying what I, the football I was doing. And then '87 came, we won the senior championship in, in the All Ireland. We lost that semi final to to Meath, which was very very disappointing. And then they, they came again, and that's that's whenever I, I made a, a decision to hell with it. They've come three times here. Uh, maybe I should, you know, should give it a go, and that's what I did. Uh, call him, you know. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like as big a decision now, because loads of fellas have gone out, but only uh, only two had gone out before you at that time. So it was a huge step, especially leaving Glenullen and leaving Armagh with a, such a great, brilliant, you know, group of players and both. That's right. Uh, no, it wasn't a it wasn't a decision that I just made overnight. You know, I had a, uh, I mean, I've had three or four years to think about it because of the you know the nature of the. Of of the uh, the invitations to come out, but um, yeah, it, it was it, you know I I looked at uh, Jim Staines and I looked at Sean uh, Sean White as well and they were doing really well. Uh, uh, Paul Early had been out as well, I think, at that particular time, you know. And uh, uh, whenever I, I I went out to Australia, you know, I got to meet uh, Sean White and I got to meet Jim, and such tragedy there. It was you know for the two lads. Um, uh, with 
with with the cancer and that. But they yeah. were so good. To me. They were so good to me, Colin. Whenever I was out there, like Jim Steins and Sean White in particular helped me settle in and would have been out, uh, you know, kicking with me and, and, and encouraging me and, and, and things like that, you know. So now I have a lot of time and respect for those two men and I was absolutely devastated, you know, with, with, with how, how it finished off. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Like, it, Was it lonely out there? You were in St Kilda and all the two lads used to help you out, um, you know, and come across. I, I was reading that you used to sneak off to play a bit of local GEA in your spare time. Oh, yeah. We would have gone down. Uh, we we travelled maybe about it would have been about 140 kilometres uh, out of uh, Melbourne to uh, the the place that we played the Gaelic games. And uh, oh, I we played. We would have um, we would have uh, had uh, had games, and they wouldn't have known about it, you know. And the I remember Anthony they got the toll there. He would have. He I remember he got a bad injury at the time. He, I would have he, been out around there. He, he broke his leg, didn't he? He broke his leg, and that went down really, really badly, you know. And <laughs> you, you, oh, no, that, that, that was bad at the time. But, uh, you know, Anthony was, was, was just ticking off at that stage, and he was just unlucky to get that break. But, 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 that, but sorry, sorry uh, Dermot, that, that leg break was in a, 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 a game of GEA that you were playing, was it? That's right. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, he Jeez. broke his leg playing GEA. So you can imagine how the Melbourne demons at that time were, were taking it. They had, you know, they had invested here in an Irish player and then the next thing he's out playing Gaelic football and, you know, what happens happened, happened you know. But, uh, yeah, well, but, but I'm just looking there, they seemed to be, um, they were happy enough there with uh, the two players that came home there. Uh, Mark King was able to, see, Mark was able to play for, uh, for Cork and... Uh, yeah. Temporary, uh, oh, what do you call him? Colin O'Reardon, yeah, he played too. Yeah, he played as well. So there must be a wee bit more relaxed. I think they understand, the Australians are now understanding that the Irish fellas, you know, they need to, that wee uh, outlet the, uh, because of the, you know, the homesickness and, and being away from their communities and that, and their friends. So I think they're appreciating the fact that they need that wee outlet to, to, to whenever they go back or whenever they're out there, you know. Yeah. So, like, I mean, when you played with in the kind of, I don't know, the 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 second team with St Kilda first, and then you graduated to the first team, and you had some terrible luck just before your first game. Um, you tore your groin. It wasn't game eleven before you had your first game, and then you did you break your collarbone and you broke your wrist. Is that the start of your injuries that year? That was unbelievable, uh, Colm. Uh, you talk about really, really bad luck. Um, I, I, my first year I played with uh, Paran in the VFA and was going great guns there and then uh, St Kilda they, they, were, they were it was like a feeder type of uh, club uh, you see out there at that stage the, you had what you call districts <clears throat> and that district would have been the, the, the zone the, the, uh, the zone area for players to play for certain clubs so Paran and St Kilda and you know, Sandringham areas would have been where St Kilda players and Ballarat would have been where St Kilda players would have been drafted from. So I was in that area there. So then St Kilda uh, took me on after the first year we Paran. And uh, no, things were odd. It was really, really, I was loving every second. I remember the pre-season we did was horrendous. Uh, we went to a place called Becker's Marsh. Um, Outside Melbourne as well, it was an old Lion Park, but uh, we went down there for a for a, a, 
uh, a pre-season training and it was hell on earth. I tell the students in that uh, at school, you know, whenever we were doing, you know, pretty hard training sessions for McCrory or for Brock or for Ranafer, hey boys, look, you don't even know what training is because <laughs> it was serious at that time. It was madness, call them in fairness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were, we were bloody well camped in for three days and you had, you had, uh, you got up in the morning and you had to run out and get washed in an old dirty, dirty uh, uh, river lake type of thing. Then you had 10 kilometer runs uh, carrying logs. Uh, you had uh, all these different uh, exercises. You had football playing box uh, with a boxing glove on inside the hall. It was madness, but it was just testing the character. Right. That's all they were. They were testing your character to see if you would, uh, if you would, uh, if you would quit, you know. But as I say, those those were the things that were were out there at, at that particular time with St Kilda uh, moving there. But uh, my first game, or I, I I played the pre-season games with them. I was on the first, and we had travelled. We were up in Darwin. We travelled. Then we travelled over to to uh, Hope or Tasmania and played a game over there. And I was selected uh, that week for the first, very first game against Footscray. And like that was a fair, you know, a fair push to get into the first after one year, you know. Yeah, yeah. And me, the next, the, uh, the boy Kenny Shelton was the manager, and he was new into it, and he had taken over. But uh, it, it was that's what I'm saying. It was testing your character, and we started doing these sprints around the wee middle part of the ground, the the, the wee square. It's a big square there that, that they use. And you were sprinting one side, jogging, sprinting. And he, he said before we started, he said, I'm going to put you through the ringer here. This is a week before the game. And he goes, uh, <clears throat> he says, there's no backing out of it. And frig me, uh, I shouldn't say it, but I, I, I went to take my first sprint and I pulled the groin, tore the groin. And for 20 minutes, I, like a fool, instead of putting my hand up and saying, Gary, I've pulled the groin here, I went on and did the full 20 minutes after pulling the groin. Right. I set myself, I set myself back. I, I wasn't able to train. I wasn't able to run. I wasn't able to cycle. I was able to do nothing apart from a wee bit of swimming and and my weights, upper body weights. And I I was out for about I missed the first nine, nine, ten rounds because of the groin tear. Then, uh, as I say, I come back in and played a reserve, a reserve game. Got picked for the seniors. Was in the seniors, but I played three games and. Uh, my fitness had dropped off because of you know the pre-season that I'd missed. It just wasn't up till the the pace of it for those you know two or three games, and then uh, I went down to the twos for one for two games, and then I was back to the seniors again, get myself going, and I broke my collarbone, and out for four weeks, and then I come back, play the reserve game, and my last game against Essendon, I broke my uh, I broke my, my wrist. So that was my that was my second year with Kilda. Jesus. Very, very so yeah, that's very unlucky. But they wanted you to stay out. You left after that, right? Because you had to. You, you were only given one year out of Jordanstown in college. But St Kilda wanted you to stay even after all your bad luck. That's right. Yep. The the uh, oh no, they were keen for me to stay on, and I was I was I was prepared to stay on. And then we were get we had everything set up. Jesus, St Kilda were brilliant. They were paying for me. They were paying for me uh, college. I college fees. No, I had got accepted into Footscray Institute of Technology to do to finish off my my PE degree. Everything was set up. I had got the modules. What what I had to what what the modules what I had to finish over here at University of Ulster. 
they were sent over and Footscray were going through it and they were able to give me the same uh, study over here or the same units over here and uh, everything was grand and then the next thing I got a, a letter from the university saying uh, from uh, God, God rest him, he's dead now, Professor Saunders, a lovely, lovely man, but he had to follow the university uh, charter, and it's, at that stage it was, if you start uh, the university, uh, if you start in Georgetown, you have to finish your degree in Georgetown. So I wasn't able to, uh, what everyone does now in the world, uh, move from country to country to, to get your education. I wasn't able to do that, and I had to make a short decision whether I stayed on here to, uh, uh, sorry, I had to make the decision to drop out. No, they give me the option of taking another year out and then coming back or a drop out. So that was what was left with column. And uh, I made the decision after talking to a few people that, uh, you know, I would come home, you know. Right. And did you go straight back in with Derry then? Because I was reading you were, you were out in Boston the following summer. What year did you get back in playing with Derry and how, how many years were you gone for? Oh, I was, I was in, uh, I, I was as sit on my day. I would never come back. And uh, Boston, I was just, I went out to Boston for for that summer. I think, I think right. it was that summer. So, yeah, that was it. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to. I'll tell you something now, Colin. You've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forgetting a lot of stuff here. <laughs> but this this was the thing, and like I mean, even if you were gone, you were gone for the two years then, and then back in with Derry. So you're in. I'm trying to kind of get a, a feeling of. Because the 93 season when Derry obviously won the All-Ireland, you were an impact sub, which I'm kind of scratching my head wondering how how did, you know, Eamon Coleman come to that conclusion? Were you just back in that year or had you been in there a the couple of years before that? No, I had been in a couple of years before that, but uh, the final, the 93 final was a decision that uh, Eamon and uh, the management crew at that time would have made, you know, but I think uh, looking back on it now, uh, oh, Eamon and me, I, 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 to be honest now, I was very disappointed with the result, but to me, it wasn't about me. It was about one of the Ireland. Yeah. And that's really what was the most important thing to, to get ourselves over the line. And that's what he was happy enough to do. It's uh, something that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll live with it, but I'm, I'm still uh, regret, I'm, I'm regretting that decision. But I've got over it now. And look, we won the Ireland, and that's the most important thing. I still think Eamon was wrong to do that. But me and him have, a, have, a, have had a chat about it, and it's grand. That, that's the way it is. Right, right, okay, because it's a funny one, because yourself and Eamon would have gone back a long way, he was over the Miners, he was over Jordanstown when you were winning Sigerson's, like he would have known all about you, um, and yeah. then like he, he did admit, he said it's the hardest team he ever had to announce, he said it's the hardest team I ever had to announce because Dermot McNichol wasn't starting. Well, I think Eamon, in his heart of hearts, no one knows, you know, knew himself that uh, probably he was making a, a decision that he thought was, and his, uh, his heart was right, and maybe, or sorry, uh, you know, was right, and his head was right, but his heart wasn't right. Uh, right. And, you know, that's how, that's how I would look at that. Me and Eamon, we go back a long, long, long time. Eamon was, I can remember Eamon uh, coming in, God rest him, he, he, he came into the minors in um, 83, and we had our first session up in, up in Maherfelt, um, uh, up the, the, the Greenville Leisure Centre up around there, and uh, 
we were out in the training pitch and we, we had been told of Damon Coleman and nobody knew anything about him because we had been brought up through uh, minors there at that stage you had you would have had um, you know um, Matt Thrall would have been about and, and Sean O'Kane would have been about for, for the you know the under 21s minors and Adrian McGuckin and you know, all those guys there next thing Eamon Coleman's name was mentioned and we just didn't know what to expect and it was so funny uh he walked out for the first time with this red uh, tracksuit bottom on him and this smutty moustache. And he, he got nicknamed, from the very first time he came to us, he got nicknamed the wee Mexican because of the, <laughs> because of the, you know, the, the moustache. Yeah. And it was so funny, but, ah, oh, Eamon, Eamon, Eamon knew he was, he was a serious, serious character. And, you know, the most, the most, Important thing with him, and look, he he, uh, he had so much time for the players, and you know, people talk about management this and management that. If if a manager or a coach cares about the players, they will re- respond and react to that. You know, and, yeah. Uh, we all reacted to to him because of his his his, his gentle ways, and and hey. He was able to call you out, and uh, whenever you had to be called out, but uh, he just had a—he he was really a player's player and a player's manager, and, and that's not often you get that, you know. No, he didn't. No, he, he definitely, he definitely was. But even the decision not to start you, like I mean, in the eighties, this would be completely unheard of. I'm trying to understand it. Like I mean, were you as good a player in '93 as you were in '87 before you went to Australia and got all the injuries? Well, I'll tell you now. I remember us going down to. Uh, Play, uh, uh, this was maybe about two weeks before, three weeks before the the uh, All Ireland final, and we had a scratch match down and uh, the pitch down and uh, we went to the camp and uh, down to Bally Castle. That's where it was. And uh, I remember Mark and Henry Downey, and I can tell you now, Henry was very, very dizzy by the end of that match. Very, <laughs> very dizzy. And uh, I just I couldn't understand. I could not understand why he wasn't picked now at that stage. But listen. Uh, he had his reasons. It all worked out for Derry and yeah. ourselves, and that, that's the most most important thing, you know. I I tell you something now. I, re, I I do regret is that I didn't challenge Eamon. I did not challenge Eamon at that particular time. I stood back and said my my philosophy was hold on a second. I'll go out into the training pitch and I'll show Eamon. I'll show who, you know, what I can do, which I did. Which I did. Uh, you know there were. Other players have, have ways of doing it. You know, there's players can ring him and players can get inside Eamon's head that way there. I yeah. wasn't that type of player. I wasn't anyone that would be, you know, uh, ringing the manager and, and, and putting the case. No, no, definitely not. That's not the way I operated. To me, you do it out in the pitch. And maybe if I had a sat down with Eamon before the semi-final or final and had words with him and said, look, I have a case here, I have a case there. And I, that's what I encourage now. I encourage, and my coaching, I would encourage any player, if they're not happy, because of what I have, uh, because of what I, I, you know, what I experienced with, you know, with, with, with that decision, I encourage all my players, if you have a problem, if you feel that, that this isn't right, you come to me because I will listen. And that's, that's, something, uh, you know, that's something that's very, very important to, to, to uh, young players, especially young players. You know, I I, sh- I have no, um, to be honest, Colm, I should have known because I was 20, 26 or 27 years of age. But again, I just put it down to out on the pitch, do it out on the pitch, and Eamon will, will, um, will pick that up. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, like, I mean, you'd be forgiven if you had an ego at 26 after everything you'd done in the game up until that point, but you obviously didn't because you were just the, of the attitude, I'll go out and prove him wrong on the training pitch. Like, I mean, you, you accepted it, which is, you know, a testament to you. Yeah, that's, look, can I tell you something now, Colm? I had seven or eight hard years of accepting that, you know? Yeah. But I, I got over, you know, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, I, uh, I firmly believe I should have started at that final. Not only me, there's a lot of people uh, in, the co- in the county would say that as well. There's no doubt in that. But, hey, listen, it's nothing to do with Eamon. Eamon's hands sometimes can be tied with, with selectors and things they got there, you know. I wouldn't have been the most popular with, uh, with some of the selectors and uh, because, not right, nothing that I have done, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what, like club rivalries or something? Yeah, club rivalries maybe or something like that. Well, uh, it's it's not maybe the time to be getting into that, you know. Uh, okay. There would have been. Listen, I I have I have forgiven them and actually forgive the people for it as well. Being honest, right? I had a, because if you hold back and 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 you get you know you get angry and you know that doesn't help at all. So yeah, come here, just I, just. Just, just on that, uh, Dermot, is that like number one? You're very lucky in that you got a half. You got, you were brought on at half time because back in those days, if you're a sub, you're lucky if you could get bloody five minutes. So that's at least one a positive out of it. You played, you played half the game. You kicked an unbelievable point. And I meant to ask you about this: is that Colin O'Rourke? I was list, I was watching. We, we, I watched this game. We did a show, a nostalgia show on it a few months ago, and I remember Colin O'Rourke saying, uh, "That's a very good score by uh, Dermot McNichol. He's not known for kicking points." And I thought that was a strange one. <laughs> I call him. Uh, yeah, I would have. Uh, I would have shared. Uh, you know, whenever we were over in Australia, we call him. But that would be call him just jesting, you know. Right. And, uh, I call him. I would have known call him through the colleges as well. Colin was taking um, some Patsy Navin, and we would have been Mahara. So we would have had a bit of banter there, you know. So that's that's where I see that coming from. Right, right, okay. But that, that, I suppose that was the thing. Like, where were you most comfortable playing? It looks to me like it was centre-half forward. You have an all-star at corner forward. That was the all-star you won when you were in school. It looked like you played wing-back for the compromise rules. Like, where, where you're really a, a real dynamic kind of all-action player. I, you know what? Um, I, I loved midfield. Right. You know, and uh, probably I needed to be a wee bit taller for midfield, but, you know, I had a, I had a good leap. Uh, midfield was where I really loved playing the game, you know, and um, I love centre half forward. Uh, centre half forward, you know, you, you're really looking. It, it's it's changed, or you know, you're, you're looking at the, the modern day centre half forwards now. Back in my time, a centre half forward basically was the playmaker. You know, he was the boy that was doing the passing in, and or else uh, you have that centre half forward like Larry Tompkins and myself. Uh, you know, who and Bart McHugh, who would have been driving through the centre and whatever, you know. Uh, but centre half forward, I loved as well. But midfield, I would say definitely midfield was 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 my position uh, that that I like playing for club and for for my county. And uh, the funny before I went to Australia, uh, it was Chris Brown actually was taking the seniors before I left. And uh, I was actually named in the the the, the dairy team at uh, wing half back in a national league game. So that was a that was a strange one. Right, 
Right, okay. So listen, you'll probably play anywhere from five up uh, up the rest of the field. Before I let you go here, Dermot, like, I mean, your nickname is Spoofer. A little birdie told me it's because you're a little bit economical with the truth with, with women back in your in your teenage years. Is there any truth in that one? Oh, my God. That's something to bring up. <laughs> you, you know how I got that there? It's the boy Gabriel O'Kane, Billy O'Kane from Dungiven. And we were at Maharaj School together. And uh, Billy one day was we, we messed about, and uh, he he came he came into the school the next day, and I called him a spiffer. I got there, and the next day he came in and he called me a spiffer, and that's how that name stuck. Honest to God, call him. That is how it stuck. I right. called him a spiffer, and he called me a spiffer. So no, it's just, that's, that's it's just as simple as that. Then, so I've got the, I've got the complete wrong end of the uh, end of the stick here altogether. And be right before. <laughs> If it's the wrong end, but you know what, Colin, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to uh, uh, deny it. You know, uh, being, you know, <laughs> having the having the career I had now, uh, uh, I was lucky enough to meet some beautiful woman, and uh, I'm, I'm very lucky that I finished off with with a really, really a gem of of a of a wife and my wife Ada. You know, the best one have, of all. I have four, absolutely, and I have four absolutely beautiful children. Uh, well, they're not children anymore. They're <laughs> they're growing up. Like I have a daughter, Dervla, and she's mad into the football. Jeremy, uh, he uh, he's he's uh, done his cruciate now twice the same knee uh, this last two years. And seriously, uh, Column, the work that he has put in is uh, it is unbelievable. He's never out of the gym. He's never doing the work for that knee. And I hope he does get a break because he's a really good footballer. The two, uh, my two twin boys, Fergal and Callum, the work that they're putting in, and they're on. You know, it's it's amazing for players, you know, fathers of, or sons of fathers who have, you know have have been had a good career. The pressure is on them, you know. But I'm so proud of them, the work that they're putting in, because it's. I I'll tell you something. Right? Some of the work that they're putting in, I wouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, the workload is big now. And like you're talking about knee injuries, you're in a bad way yourself, Dermot. Like you're two, you need two knee replacements and a hip replacement. And I suppose when you look back, and we were talking at the start of the interview about all the teams you were on at underage, uh, you know, the rugby, the cycling, all the circuits, all that. Like, I mean, when you look back on it now, you, you, like, would you regret that with the pain you're in now, for example? Or do, uh, what way are you looking at it? Uh, listen. Uh, I enjoyed every moment of it, uh, Colin, whenever I was playing and whenever I was training. Like, I enjoyed training as well. I, I, I can never understand players saying, oh, I, I don't like training. I enjoyed the training. I enjoyed the playing. But uh, I'm sitting, I'm, as I say, I'm sitting here now on a sofa with uh, two knees that have to be replaced, especially the left one. The left one is completely banjacked. The right one is bone on bone as well. And it's the right hip to get replaced as well. So it's, it's taken its toll, but... Listen, that's the way it is. I I have a brilliant career in, in, in football and I've made so many friends and, uh, you know, I've, I, it's also led me into coaching and, you know, I love the coaching end of it as well and, uh, you know, enjoy giving giving back what other people give to me because the people that I, I, I was fortunate enough to work with, um, you know, starting off with Danny McElvar, you know, through the school, Adrian McGuckin and Paul Hugh, or uh, sorry, uh, Oliver Hughes, sorry, and then got on to the new, uh, Eamon Coleman's and, and all those guys there, right through to the very top, like uh, with uh, Kevin Heffern and, and Peter McDermott and, and oh my God, the, you know, the manager, Mick, Mick O'Dwyer, you know, oh, 
Kevin Heffner, as I said, those those guys to, to to be even to be luckily involved with those managers and to learn from them, you know, it, uh, I'm so so privileged and I'm so happy. Yeah. And, uh, I want to just, you know, I'm at the stage now where I'm just enjoying, I'm enjoying watching games, you know, and I'm sure you're the same, Carl. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's my job to watch them now. So, like, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's definitely what I'm doing most of the time. It was good to hear that you, you, you're you enjoying watching them, Dermot, because there's a lot of negativity, I suppose, about the, of the modern game and a lot of people of your era kind of, you know, comparing eras and saying it's not as good now. Uh, big, that's the biggest load of nonsense uh, column that I have heard. What you're witnessing now is transition, the way to, football's transition, there was a transition period there, uh, football's moving on, and uh, the the only thing I would say, Colm, right, you're looking at the game now from what we how we played it, and you'll agree with me here. It was, uh, you know, decisions were made by the players, and, you know, there was great uh, spontaneity in the game, right? Now you have a game which is structured. Look, it's no matter what you say, it's following the simple process of where the professional game is, is going. American football, uh, go to rugby, go to soccer, go to all those games. You have a process there, and play. You have your your uh, your team plan, and your players are now expected to, to follow the team plan and to follow the system and to follow the positions. And it's that's the way it is. It is right. It's taken away the the individual. That's the, the good thing. It's taken away the or the bad thing. It's taken away the individual player that he's not allowed maybe a good player to express himself the way he could. But at the same time, it's now a thinking process. The game is think process for coaches, and they have to work out. Uh, systems, uh, how to beat a certain system. That's Mickey Hart's them boys uh, and, and um, Joe Kiernan's whatever. They have they have produced the model. Now uh, managers have to try and beat that model. That's how I see it. And it's very much like business. You have the product and you have to follow it. So that's how I see it. But no, I, I think the skill level has gone through the roof. I think players now, the way they're able to use their left foot, their right foot, Take a look at some of the games that we played, and God, we were never losing or using our left foot the way players are using their left foot now, or their non-preferred foot, I should say. No, I think the game has come on uh, brilliantly. Yeah, and, no. Uh, that's, that's how I, I, I would see it at the minute, Colm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the skill level has gone has gone completely through the roof, especially with some of the forwards. Come here, Dermot. I've kept up. I've taken enough of your time there. Um, I let you. I let you go. Thanks very much for chatting to us about your career. Like it's incredible stuff what you were doing back in the in the eighties. And uh, fair play to you. Thanks for taking the call. No bother, Colin. Yeah, great stuff from Dermot there. Um, I think we can put that to bed, Connor. Greatest miner who's ever played. Well, anyone who plays at a in an other minor final at the age of fourteen is that correct? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stuff. I think uh, yeah, that, there's there's no dispute from me on on my end anyway, Willie. Yeah, so he was the David Clifford of the early eighties when there was no social media and no clips of his scores. What I, I think what he did in the in during the eighties was absolutely phenomenal. Um, we'll move on, uh, Connor, because Desi Farrell has been um, talking this week and it's not, no, comes as no surprise to me. He was on a podcast with Kieran Cannon or Karen. Um, and he said, I definitely think he's talking about the provincial championships. 
And he says, I definitely think the competition structure is a big one and this might not go down well, particularly in Ulster, but I'm no longer a fan of the provincial system. Um, I would be open to change. Um, the one thing we shouldn't be afraid of in the GA is experiment. You can also re always revert back if something wasn't successful, um, you know, talking talking a bit of sense, something you don't hear too many managers really coming out. And this is Dublin after winning. Did they win 10 in a row and 14 of the last 15 um, Leinsters? You know, it, it does Dublin no good just strolling through Leinster to prefer more competitive games. You just don't hear that many managers, especially the high profile ones, say get rid of it. But that's that's why it came as a surprise to me, Willie, to be honest, because um, everything I've heard of Desi today, he... He comes from the Jim Gavin school of dealing with the media. Like, you know, he'll talk away, but he won't really say anything or certainly not controversial. So, like, especially in a, you know, in an age where at the or in a time at the moment where we're kind of short on GA news with, with, with the, when there's no games going on, he probably knew that the, this was going to um, this is going to generate headlines, which it has, obviously. So I was a little bit surprised that, uh, that somebody like Desi uh, came out with that. And like I... Not that I, uh, I, I, fully, I welcome it. I fully agree with Desi. Do you know what I mean? But I think that... Um, He's probably more comfortable in saying it because he knows the change is coming down the tracks. I mean, you know, we know that the existing system, you know, got very little support compared to the other options on the table from the fixtures review committee. So he's probably more comfortable in, you know, suggesting that the provincial system should be done away with. And I should say, Willie, that he didn't necessarily say they have to be scrapped. You know, he they, they in like Desi did was fairly vague on what, you know, we should actually do. He just said he doesn't yeah. like the provincial system you know, dictating the championship at the moment, which it still does, you know what I mean? So he could he could be a big fan of the woolly model, woolly, and have them played before the championship and then, you know, let the let the league system take over come come the summertime. But uh no I I I I yeah I welcome, you know, I the the more the support for stuff like this, you know, can only be helped by high profile people coming out, you know, in support yeah. of well, and they don't get more high profile at the moment than the double manager. Well, I, I suppose that that's the thing. And but the wheels are in motion for this, anyways. That's why, because I wasn't surprised of Desi's uh, opinion because I sat on a committee that the GPA um, set up in 2010. I remember where the old GPA offices used to be down there in in Drumcondra, and there was Kieran Wheel and Dick Clerken was on it myself, a few others, and we're throwing around ideas to change the provincial system. So this has kind of been in the work. And Desi spoke at that meeting. He chaired it. And like he was very kind of on the side of let's try and do something that's fairer, you know, where every county has the same games, every county starts on the same date, all these kind of things. So I wasn't surprised. I was just surprised that he maybe said it publicly. But then again, it is probably a little bit late because the wheels are in motion. And in fairness to John Horan, he wasn't very um, he wasn't very slow in in trying to trying to fix that so hopefully next year we'll have a new we'll have a new uh championship structure i see some people giving out about the gea insurance thing john mulhall was in the examiner i saw other people on twitter now everybody gives out about everything on twitter but it's like uh you know the the gea have stopped um covering players for for loss of earnings if they're out injured so the fund has been on the go since 1929 and before this year, if a player couldn't go working because of a GEA injury, they could get 300 uh, euros per week for a maximum of 26 weeks. So, you know, it was a very, very uh, good um, cover for anybody who got injured playing playing GEA. But obviously the GEA's finances have taken an awful hit. They've had no gate receipts, you know, to speak of in 2019. And it looks like it could be something similar uh, this year. So they've 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 taken out the the cover for loss of earnings. Now it has to be stressed that 
like I think it was in 2019, 30% of the annual claims made to the fund were to cover loss of earnings. And the other 70% was uh, due to treatment of injuries, um, you know, surgeries and things like that. And it has to be stressed that that 70% stays. You're still yeah. covered for medical surgeries. They're just not being covered at 30% for for the loss of earnings and i don't see what the big problem with this is like money doesn't grow on trees here connor it's a bit like we're going to come out of these lockdowns and everyone's going to be all shocked next year when all or the year after when we're, austerity re- returns do you know what i mean money where do people think this money's going to come out of the ga can't afford this right now and i don't see a huge big deal in it yeah uh, yeah i suppose yeah um especially when as you said, especially when, you know, it still will cover a kind of, you know, the cost of major surgeries and stuff like that. And especially when you consider that, you know, schemes like this aren't really in other other sports and the GA was kind of ahead of the game in terms of offering this sort of service to the players. But yeah, I do see it's got a fair bit of um, opposition. Well, I know Waterford came out with a statement. Uh, Cork County Board have been fairly strong in it as well. And the one thing, while, while I get what you're saying about the fuss, the one thing I will say is where I do understand where people would have concerns is for... Um, is for people who are maybe self-employed and who, you know, don't have, you know, don't have anything to fall back on. If they were to get a serious, if they've just gone back playing, you know, fo- you know, playing football or hurling, they get a sing- serious injury and then they've kind of nothing, nothing to fall back on. Then, you know, that that I, I had a bit, I had a bit of sympathy as far as, um, as far as that, as that was concerned, because you're talking about people who are probably, their employment has probably been hit a lot in the last year as it was anyway. And then they're thinking about going back playing GA and then potentially getting an injury that might put them out of action that will affect their, um, that'll inflect their earnings as well. So I, I did have sympathy in in that regard as well. But I have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't fully, I, I've never had to access the player fund myself fully. So, no, I, wasn't aware. so I have to, I have to, you know, commend the GA for, for running such a scheme like this. And the fact I was no way in, not aware at all that it's been, it's been in uh, existence since 1929, which is really impressive as well. Yeah, so. very impressive. So, for example, in 2019, counties paid 6.2 million um, to cover the cost of claims, but the total outgoing for the year was just over 8.1 million. So the GEA made up the 2.5 million difference from gate receipt money. Um, they moved 2.1 million across in 2018. So, like, I mean. This is where the GE were making it up from gate receipts. They don't really have any gate receipts anymore. And this isn't this being scrapped forever. This is just being scrapped for maybe a year or two until the GA gets back on its feet and we can have crowds at games. I don't know. Like, I mean, it's funny. The CPA have ran off into the sunset, so they, they haven't said anything on the on the matter. And this affects every player in the country. The GPA haven't really said anything on it. I've just kind of more, you, you say uh, Waterford and Cork have been critical of, but where is the money coming from though, Connor? Like, I mean, at the, I end, at the end of the day, that's the reality. People can't have everything that they they want. And yeah, to, and to be honest, Willie, like the, I, I haven't dug too deeply into what Cork and Waterford have been saying, but like it's been it's been hypothetical in terms of the solutions that I've seen in terms of like, well, we need to get the money from somewhere, but not necessarily saying where it's coming from. And then you said as well that uh, counties paid in 6.2 million, was it, in 2019? And then they made up the deficit. They made up the shortfall with gate receipts. But I would imagine that the amount that counties themselves can pay towards the cost of those claims have been affected as well by everything that's gone on the last year. So yeah, makes it even more complicated. The one I did see one. In Cork, a club delegate, uh, this was raised at county board level, I think a club delegate raised the prospect of the GA partnering with an insurance company to kind of um, right to, to, to cover it in some way or, or to come up with some scheme that might involve the players paying a little more, but that they, in the event of something like this, in the event of loss of earnings, they'd be covered. And I was thinking then that like, 
whether it's Allianz or Liberty Insurance, the GA does have a lot of history of kind of, you know, being involved with these organizations. So maybe something can be done there to come yeah. up with a shortfall. But you can't, you're right, you can't just say, well, we need the money and then not necessarily say where it's coming from because you have to remember we're coming off the backdrop of what the GA had a 30 million shortfall or something that effect in their own finances. So, yeah, as you said, money doesn't go on trees. Yeah. And as we know, the insurance industry is notoriously generous as well, you know, so they might be able to. <laughs> yeah. Donegal, I was reading this in the Irish News and it was a bloody head scratcher, really, and saying Donegal are considering moving their 2020 finals. So this hasn't been played. It's the same in Leash. The, the four clubs in Leash, uh, fi- Port Leash, finally out of the championship before the semi final, first time since 2000, and I don't know, one or two. And the, the four clubs are just sitting on their arses and they can't finish off the championship. But Donegal are considering moving the 2020 final after the 2021 final. Now, who in their right minds would think that's a good idea? Like, I mean, it's the greatest load of nonsense. So the Irish News was saying that the, the Donegal's Boards Competition Control Committee, the CCC, are looking at putting Kilcar and Nave Connell back until after the championship was played. Donegal CCC held an online meeting with clubs earlier this week and laid out two potential options. Where where uh, where the outstanding final goes first in August and potentially pushes back the start of the 2021 co- competition, or the 2020 final waits until afterwards. Now, if you play the the last year's final first, which would make perfect sense, how far are you going to be putting back this year's one? Maybe two weeks at the most. Yeah. yeah. So what what on earth would make you think? Well, uh, well, the another option there now is we can just start one now rather than start it two weeks late. We'll just start the 2020 final. After the 2021 finalists, you have the 2021 finalist celebrating, and then you have the 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 2020 final going on after it. It's just the most bizarre even thought I can think of. Yeah, and I was thinking, could you imagine if uh, Kilcar got to if one of them got to the final this year, for example, and one of them was knocked out early? Yeah. So you have you of Kilcar, for example, getting all the way to the final, potentially winning this year's championship, then being in great nick just to play a Neve, Con- a Neve Connell team who got knocked out of the championship early and obviously haven't been training as a result. And it, it's a pity for the, no matter, it, like it's it's unfortunate that no matter when it's played, it's probably going to lack the prestige that it normally would if it had been played in the normal year. Yeah. But, but, but since the sensible option, and to be honest, well, from what I've seen since that, that, that pushing it back to after this year's championship seems to have been rubbished a bit since from what I've, from what I've seen, but that's like how, like how much of an impact is it going to make on this year's competition? Um, it, well, whatever, whatever impact it makes in this year's competition, it makes far more sense than leaving it until after this, this, this year's competition where I don't think I can't, well, I, I can't envisage anyone who'd be happy with that sort of situation. But yeah. uh, it, it, it just makes like, I mean, the GEA have been very conservative with the whole COVID thing. Like the, the, their, their decision to, to scrap all the clubs. When was that last October? Like that was very premature. Just should they, all, all it was maybe two more weekends of club. I know they got a, a lot of bad press with the celebrations after county yeah. finals, but it's really, really unfortunate for the, for the clubs that are still in the championship that, you know, they're not even getting played early this year because of the situation we're in. Then the inter-county will start. They won't have their club players. And it will be August now before those finals are played. And in, in Leash's case, before the sem- last year's semi-finals are played. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I saw the, the Nave Connell manager was actually suggesting that it might be played in May, um, which seems way too soon. And he was saying that basically that uh, everybody is rubbishing Donegal, that situation. Yeah, Donegal would be playing in May though, no? Oh, they would, yeah. But just to get this nearly get this game out of the way just to have kind of last year's championship wrapped up 
But well, yeah, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is that the intercount Donegal intercounty team will have loads of Kilcarra and Nave Connell players. Know, yeah, I know. That's, that's again. This is a suggestion that's probably uh, a little bit kind of um, not maybe thought through, or I don't know because it doesn't seem feasible at all if intercounty is back. But it was suggested played in May to wrap it up, which again seems not feasible to me because Donegal will be back. But actually, it nearly seemed like a better suggestion to push it until after uh, this year's championship is over. But but you're right, it is. I, I suppose, Willie, we're, we're, what, six months on now, so we have to, you know, it is a pity that those championships don't get played, but, like, I do remember at the time the the, the level of uproar that greeted kind of some county finals where, where fans kind of didn't pay attention to restrictions afterwards. So it did, it like, it seems really unfortunate now, but it's probably more understandable the stance that GA took at the time, given the, given the kind of um, the mood that greeted kind of some of those games. Yeah. After. Yeah, I, I, I think at the time, I don't think I was overly critical of it at the time. It's just like I mean, maybe two more weeks would have wrapped it all up. I do I do feel a lot of sympathy for the clubs that put in such an effort last year and now, you know, are just sitting around. So like, where, where would you even be as a club player? Like, I mean, you've gone through lockdown over Christmas. You would be out of shape. Motivation would be really low. You're heading into a pre-season with a county final, your first game in August. It's, yeah. a, it's definitely a weird one psychologically for players. I was just thinking that there as well, even though that makes the most sense. I do have sympathy for Kilcarrad and Nave Connell as well, because you have to go, you have to go really, you have to completely tape your training around for one game, and then you nearly have to change it around again to, to build up for, even though you're playing the championship immediately afterwards, sometimes you kind of build through a championship and try and get stronger and peak for the latter stages. So uh, just like it's, it's, it's a complete head melt for them with, with, with the schedule and stuff. But again, of all the options on the table, it probably makes the most sense. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Paul Meskel um, has increased the sales of O'Neill shorts in 2020 by 20%. So Paul Meskel, obviously ex-Kildare minor and acting superstar. Um, now, if anyone hasn't heard my interview with him, um, just go search for Paul Meskel on the on the GER. Really, really sound fella. Brilliant, brilliant actor. But I was just looking at this. He said the, the report on this. The normal people star and former Kildare minor football captain made the 20 euro O'Neill shorts one of last year's most sought after fashion items. So he goes around, he wore them on a GQ cover shoot. Now, I despise those O'Neill shorts and I cannot believe, well, I can believe it because I nearly fell, um, I had a heart attack in the sports shop when I went back playing Masters. I I think I told my mother to throw out all my old leash gear or whatever. I won't ever be using that again and port leash (laughs) gear and the socks and everything. And then when I come back looking to play Masters, I had no gear and I went into the sports shop to buy a pair of shorts and socks and I nearly had a heart attack. That, like, I mean, the shorts and socks came to about 25 quid and I was looking, these shorts are 20 euros. Do you know, for just the normal O'Neill's one, no crest or anything on them, the two stripes and O'Neill's written on them and said, who in their right mind would pay 20? Now, well, I just did pay 20 euros for them. And I was like, what on earth? I, and then I started thinking, I never bought gear in my life, really, for as long as I can remember. I never bought football boots. Very, very lucky that I can't remember ever buying a pair of football boots. You know, you you just kind of got them for free with leash and you get all the gear for free. 20 euros for a pair of O'Neill shorts, Connor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you should have told your mother to put all those um, leash shorts up on eBay. Can you imagine the money they get for them now, Willie? Do you know, after, after the podcast <laughs> thing. It's but, the great, uh, greatest, greatest miner ever. Um, yeah, yeah. Get them signed by Bino as well. Just get, get <laughs> up a little bit. But uh, do you know the funny thing about that GQ cover shoot? So he was wearing, um, do you know, in the, in the magazines like that, they have, uh, there'd be a caption underneath. Do you know, it'll be Paul Mescal is wearing. You know, so it'd be Paul Meskel is wearing so it was on shorts by O'Neill's twenty quid. He was wearing a pullover in the same uh 
is wearing a pullover in the same picture is by some brand called Hermes. I've never heard of them before, but it cost 10 grand. So, so, so whatever Paul Mescal was wearing, when I, I know his runners probably would have cost 50 or quid or something like that. So he was wearing an outfit that cost up on 11 grand and the shorts only cost 20 euro. So, but, uh, but you're right. I, I'm, I'm with you. On the, I've never had to buy a pair of O'Neill shorts, Willie, and I would never wear them in public as well. All the shorts that I've ever had were white shorts because my club wears white shorts and my legs are pasty enough as they were as they are without having to kind of amplify that even more with white shorts. So, um, so obviously like Paul Mescal could pull them off and a lot of people thought they could pull them off as well. If the sales increased by, uh, by 20%, but fair play O'Neill's really jumped on that bandwagon last year. And sure. Why wouldn't they after, after how successful normal people was, especially after your interview with Paul as well. Yeah. I think that interview really shot him to stardom really, um, that interview on the GER for Paul Mescal. So yeah, O'Neill's 20 euros. If, if you saw Paul Mescal, wearing a pair of O'Neill shorts and rushed out to buy a pair of O'Neill shorts, well, then I don't know what hope there is for the world. That's basically... Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it on that one. Right, we'll be back next Thursday, um, as usual, um, with a show, and we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop, and when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I'm hard, I'm heartbroken.